When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Famed hedge fund manager David Tepper is shorting equities. Should you? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap newsletter. Hi, Jared. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Jared's bravely joining us with a cold. I think we can all relate. There's <laughs> yeah. some crazy stuff going around. So we appreciate you pushing through. Um, and Man, 2022 is just kind of killing us all right up to the end. Ugly looking day for U.S. stocks. Um, we had Tepper's comments, ECB just selling in tech, all kind of weighing in um, and sort of adding pressure. It seems like there's a lot of bearish sentiment out there, Jared. I don't know. How are you thinking about things? Did this seem like it was convicted? Is it just low volume? Well, yeah, there's a lot of bearish sentiment. I mean, you know, we went from 3,500 to 4,100 in pretty short order. Um, and uh, that was the point at which, you know, I would say sentiment got back to neutral. Uh, it's pretty bearish again. One thing I want to talk about today, and I do want to spend some time talking about this. Um, you know, I like to think about what the pain trade is, you know, mm -hmm. what, what trade would cause the most people the maximum pain. And honestly, I think if, if we went into 2023, and we had a ripping rally in tech and a sell-off in energy, that would be very painful for all the wise guys out there. I mean, mm -hmm. this trade is this trade has worked for 12 months, you know, being long energy and short tech. I mean, that's you know, if if you had that on, you made you made like 60% in 2022. Um, the thing I've noticed about the new year, I mean, even you know, when the calendar rolls over, you tend to there's a regime change. Like it's going to be different in the new year. And I, I just, you know, I spent some time thinking about, you know, I looked at the, at the chart of tech today and it's at the bottom of the channel and it's kind of, you know, making a rounded bottom. It's forming a little bit of a base. And I'm like, man, if, you know, if tech stocks were to rip 10% coming out of uh, the new year, that would, uh, that would really catch a lot of people off sides. Yeah, I know you like to always kind of like probe where w w the unexpected, right? Like what what what's not on the radar? What would what would be the catalyst for that though? Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. I didn't know that Tepper was uh, making bearish comments until I got on the call, and you said that. Actually, I missed that today. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that is important. I mean, Tepper has. You know, he's he's really a trader's trader and he has really good instincts. And, you know, if it, it, this has been a long time ago now, but if you remember Tepper back in 2009, he was the guy that was buying, you know, bank stocks in the low single digits, uh, betting on a recovery of the financial sector. And he absolutely nailed that trade. And that's how he made his reputation. Mm. So he has pretty good instincts. So if he's bearish, that actually I'm like, gee whiz, like, you know, that's, that, that actually gives me something to think about. Uh, I'm not super worried about stocks. Um, 
I think it's possible that we could retest the lows, but actually I don't think that's likely. I think we I think we kind of drift lower towards the end of the year and we'll see what happens in 2023. Yeah. By the way, if you um if you have a question for Jared, go ahead and put it in the comments section of our website. Uh, you can tweet us at Real Vision, or you can put it in the YouTube chat. Hit the like button while you're there, please. Um, and we'll get to as many as we can. You know, it's funny, Jared, because you you may not have been aware that he said that, but when I was looking at the comments, I thought of something that you put in one of your recent newsletters um, that that jumped out at me at the time, and that sentiment can't get any worse, but the bear market can. You know, it's we're in this kind of... Um, tricky situation where you and others have pointed out that sentiment feels, it feels so everyone's bearish. And when everyone's bearish, you're kind of like, wait a minute, you know, like everybody's spidey sense gets a little bit like, this is, this is a little strange. Everybody can't be right. And yet there are all these fundamentals and there's so much uncertainty. And there is this concern that, you know, we may have hit a tipping point for sentiment, but can we just, do we just painfully grind in this situation, how are you thinking about that? Well, you know, when I'm thinking about the market today, I look at Tesla, and I think Tesla is actually driving sentiment in the market. Um, I think I think stocks are following Tesla. Um, there was it was a couple of days ago, or last week, or the week before, where I said that there was too many assholes short Tesla, and that was 20% ago in the stock. The stock is 20% lower now, and um, it's, you know, I think that this unwind of Elon Musk, which basically started when he was named Time Person of the Year. I mean, that was like the top of Elon Musk. And we've had this big unwind since then. But really, like, I think I think everybody's focused on the Tesla chart. And I think if Tesla bounces, I think you'll see a big bounce in the market, too. That's interesting. So why do you think Elon is so is such a driving force? I mean, is it a reflection of how so many who are playing who retail investors are doing? Why is he so central? Such a well, central figure. It's it's he's a central figure because at at the, this particular moment in time, he's the most famous person in the world. You know, I mean, if if from 2016 or 2015 to 2020, you know, Donald Trump dominated all Google searches. Like Donald Trump had more Google searches than anyone else. Elon Musk has now passed him by a lot. Like everybody knows who Elon Musk is. And there's the, the sentiment towards him ever since he's taken over Twitter has turned very negative, um, which is kind of interesting because, you know, I think he's, I think, look, I mean, Elon Musk, his management style is not something that I would do. Uh, he tends to blow things up and then pick up the pieces. But ultimately, I think Twitter is going to be better off because of him. And uh, it's, it's, it's turning into a PR disaster. Yeah, it certainly is. I think people always, first of all, um, it's great to talk about this and brave of you to write about it because people have such strong feelings about him. It usually brings on a tirade on either side. So good luck with that over the next couple <laughs> of days. But uh, um, do you do we do we need to understand whether he's sort of, you know, smart as a fox or has slightly lost the plot? Because I think people are confused with Twitter, whether he's got some Machiavellian plan and knows exactly what he's doing or whether he's just overextended himself, you know, with all of the attention and fame and the many, many job titles. Um, 
is this a real threat? Is he a is he too big to fail? He actually, I, he kind of is too big to fail. And I think if Elon Musk were to fail, uh, if Tesla stock went low enough and he got a margin call, and he actually, if if Elon went to zero, I don't think that would be good for stocks. I think I think that would be profoundly bad for stocks. Um, so I, I think that's important. You know, Lynette Lopez, who was one of the journalists that he uh, suspended from Twitter, you know, she's been following uh, uh, Elon Musk for years. Mm -hmm. And she's basically like, look, like a lot of people think that this guy has a master plan and uh, he's playing 3D chess. Mm -hmm. uh, but she says, really, he just does. He just plays whack-a-mole like he's very reactionary. Mm -hmm. So I don't I really don't think that he has a plan at all. But having said that, like if you were to bet against him at any point in the last 15 years, you would have lost big. So, yep. you know, I really, I really don't want to bet against him here. And by the way, if he were to announce tomorrow that he was stepping down as CEO of Twitter and installing somebody else like Balaji or whoever, like Tesla stock would be up 20% in the day. Yeah. You know? So I, everyone's kind of trying to figure out, are you, are you, do you have a position? Would you, are you putting on a position? I don't, I don't have, I've traded Tesla a couple times over the years and I've done okay. But um, if I were to have a position, I would actually be long because I think it's asymmetric. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the bigger move is to the upside and the faster move is to the upside. So um, we have a question from Running Man um, at Trend Trade uh, asking Can you share what your strongest trade is based off of sentiment? Would, would it be Tesla or are you looking at something else? Uh, it might be Tesla, although, um, you know, like I said, I thought, uh, I, th I thought the stock would stop in the one forties and it's lower than that. So I'm not really sure what's my strongest trade in terms of sentiment. Uh, I don't really know at the moment. Um, you know, it's the holidays. So, yeah, I know it's, it's also, it's, it's, I feel like it's this period where, you know, people, even you said it before, like I'm, I'm feeling a certain way, but they're reluctant to put anything on. There's just like, not everything's lining up, you know, that there's some sense that things are lopsided. We've had a lot of people are like, I would say uncomfortably sitting in cash, even, even people who trade and don't usually hold large cash positions. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to ask you about another thing that people are trying to wrap their head around, and that's we saw the surprise move by the BOJ um, this week. I actually want to before we before we talk about implications, I want to play a clip from Weston Nakamura. Um, all of you are familiar with Weston, our editor out in Tokyo. He talked about uh, it on the other day on the Daily Briefing, and if you missed it, I just want to replay it because it was a really important part of the conversation. Um, where Weston suggesting that the BOJ move had much more to do with financial stability, particularly instability, than it did with inflation. Let's have a listen to that. This is. I just want to give my kind of my my view, my reading on this, um, because the timing is very kind of shocking, right? 
Um, essentially, a lot of people, I think, like, you know, the general consensus is that this is, um, this is a, a rate hike. This is the end of the Bank of Japan, um, and they're, you know, they're easing. They were the first in. This is the last out. This is an end of an era. This is the last major central bank who is now removing accommodative policy. No more free money. That, that like, this is the end of that. This is, like, a, a huge regime shift, not just for Japan, but for uh, major, you know, G5 central banks at large and all that kind of thing, right? Um, however, if you look at the policy statement, they don't mention anything about CPI or anything like that. Okay, this is nothing to do with Japan CPI, which is in a which has a three handle on it, um, which is high for Japan, but obviously much lower than uh, everywhere else. And so, what? Why would they suddenly, or why are they reacting to it now in this manner, um, with two meetings left for Governor Kuroda's term? Right. So this is indeed for financial stability and not for CPI. And for, you, for those of you who did get a chance to catch that, remember Weston had a chart of unusual activity in the JGB market that um, he thinks certainly caught the eye of the BOJ. And it would be consistent what we saw with the Bank of England when the gilt market went out of whack. Now, potentially, you have the BOJ, who sort of certainly moved up the timeline. Um, and if you want to see more, by the way, like a full dive into that, it's really, really important. And I was listening to headlines all day when it happened, and I didn't hear anyone talking about what Weston just mentioned, um, which is why it's so great to have these conversations on Real Vision. Um, Weston has a full breakdown of those implications uh, from the BOJ move in the latest release of What Have We Been Missing on our website for those who want a little bit of a deeper dive in that. But Jared, are you worried about some kind of financial market meltdown. We talked, we heard a lot of people talking about that earlier this fall, and then it sort of quieted down. And you didn't really have that many people talking about breaking things, you know, the central banks breaking things. Is that something that we should be worried about as we turn the corner into 23? No, I think we, I think we already passed that. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> the central banks did break something. They broke the Bank of England. Mm. Um, when the pound got down almost to parity with the dollar um, and gilt yields just exploded like that was that was really the casualty of the rate hikes. Um, and that was that was at the point that the Fed started to make some comments about financial stability, you know, relative to monetary policy. So, no, I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I we just hiked 50 basis points. Uh, it kind of looks like we're going to do another 50 than maybe a 25, but we're we're much closer to the end of rate hikes. It's going to take us to about 5%. And it, nothing, nothing is going to blow up because of, you know, interest. I mean, look, like I am, I'm a big believer, kind of like Andreas, that inflation is going to moderate in 2023. It's going to come down significantly. But we're going to have another round of it in 24 or 25. Mm. Uh, and inflation is going to go much higher. And then you're going to be talking about things like double-digit interest rates and things like that. So I think we're going to get an echo of what we experienced in 22 a couple of years from now. But I overall, I think 2023 is going to be a pretty good year. That That's so interesting. We've been hearing that a lot. People talking about that second wave of inflation, which I think is going to be really important and something that we're going to have to talk about, you know, as we move throughout the year, because it's going to have a huge impact on a lot of different uh, allocations. So, but let's say a little bit more short term. So if you think 2023 is not a bad year, what, what, what helps us avoid it? Do we, do we avoid inflation, uh, rather recession? And what helps hold the economy up? Is the U.S. economy in good enough shape? 
that we can we can do that elusive soft landing? Well, I think the last time I was on about a month ago, we talked a little bit about a recession. And I said that, you know, we the recession is already priced in. You know, mm-hmm. we we got 25% down in stocks. So that's priced in. So um sorry, my cat is freaking out. <laughs> I heard that. I figured that's what. By the way, Jared sent out a uh, posted a Christmas line. Maybe he'll tweet it out I'm, or something. I'm, I'm home. I got the cats here. In his Christmas uh, card, all his cats are there. It's fantastic. No, I mean, in 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 the short term, we're gonna we're gonna finish hiking rates, and um, you know, inflation. Look, that you cannot discount the positive psychological impact of CPI coming down a half a percent every month, which is what is going to happen. So we're at 7.1, we're going to go to 6.6, we're going to go to 6.1, we're going to go to 5.6. It's going to keep com- coming down. And that ultimately is, you know, it's it's going to feed into Fed funds expectations. Like, I don't think there's going to be any rate hikes in 2023. So Really? Even though the Fed seems to be... Oh, uh, sorry. Into- I mean, outside of like February and right February. as we as we go through the year, um, we learned today that U.S. third quarter GDP was revised higher, and it was thanks to upward revisions in consumer spending and business investment. Um, do, is is it the consumer that's holding us in here, feeling better about inflation? You know, what do we have to key off of? Is it inflation? Is it the job market? Yeah, I mean. I guess the one thing that people forget is that every every recession is different. You know, there's no there's there's no like archetype of what an inflate of what a recession looks like. So, you know, in this particular recession, you have very strong consumer spending. And the reason it's strong is because of inflationary psychology, because people think that prices are going to keep going up. I mean, everybody talks about this anecdotal information. You know, I mean, I was in I was in Target a couple of days ago. It was packed, yeah. you know, like it was absolutely packed. Like you would never know that we're in a recession or anything that looks like totally. a recession. So it's just every time, every time it's every time it's different. I I, I agree, Jared. It's been shock, sort of shocking to me because I know there are all these concerns and economic concerns, and you know, some are forecasting that we are going to see the job market crater next year, but the stores are packed, restaurants are packed, bars are packed. I mean, you can't move. It's, it's more crowded than I've seen it in years. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also hearing some anecdotal stuff about, you know, rates came down a hundred basis points. So mortgages, which were at 7% went down to 6% or lower. And, you know, if, if you get mortgages back down between five and a half and 6%, that's going to be pretty good for the housing market. And I'm starting to hear that the housing market in some areas is beginning to recover because rates have come down. Mm. So, you know, there's this scary chart of existing home sales that everybody's been looking at. David Rosenberg was talking about it the other day. So, you know, at the peak, we were like six, six, six and a half million home sales. And now we're down to four. Like, uh, honestly, I think it, I think it, you know, finds a base around here and starts to head higher. So. Interesting. And that's important because we know, you know, we talk about the consumer being important, but housing for many reasons, but also as a sentiment, because it's most people's, you know, the biggest thing they own, like they're, the biggest part of their wealth is, is wrapped up in their house. So yeah. That- and the other, the other thing about the housing market is, is that the, the one positive uh, piece of data is that the inventory of homes has not gone up a lot. 
right? It's not like we're sitting on like 12 months of inventory of unsold homes. It's like four, it's like four months, like up from three months. So it's really like the housing market is not that bad. Mm. I have a, a, an interesting comment here. We're, we're, we get we have questions and comments, um, and um, lots of people telling you to feel better, which we concur with. <laughs> but Michael is saying uh, sentiment may be bearish, but they're not selling. Um, if you if I'm if I get this wrong, Michael, correct me in the comments, and we'll and I'll address it. But I'm I'm guessing he's meaning retail investors or the majority of people are kind of still sitting on their losses, and there there maybe was a concern that you'd see. Either a rebalancing and people, you know, change the the amount they're allocating to equities, um, or that you just see them throw in the towel if they if they just get caught out and get a chance and and just liquidate some of the winners. Um, is there a sense that maybe people there 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 might be some some sort of liquidation event in the new year, Jared? Well, I I agree with that statement. I think a lot of people are holding on for sure. Uh, but I also I don't believe that you have to have retail capitulation in order to put in the bottom of the stock market. Mm. I mean, we had retail capitulation in 2008. We had it in 2001. Uh, I don't think we're going to get it. I don't think we're going to get it this time around. Um, you know, there's you know, out of all the bear markets that we've had over the last 100 years, I don't know. How, I think there's 20 or 22 or something like that. You know, only four of them have gone down 50 percent where you really did get that retail capitulation. Uh, but for, you know, you have to, you have to understand that people have been conditioned to buy and hold and they there's, there's people that will just never sell, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a misconception that like in order for something to bottom, everybody needs to sell. It just absolutely isn't the case. That's a great point because I think we have been we have been conditioned to do that, and and also for those people who've been told hold on, there's a lot of people who did sell and then lost a quick move. You know we're used to the markets moving quickly on the back of that, and then when you get back in has been an issue for people who even going back to 2008 2009 got spooked and got out. Um, you know missed missed a lot of the upside. So there's a lot of complicated psychology that goes that goes into that. We'll we'll take a look at that perhaps. Um, in the new year. I think that's a really good theme and a really good point. Thank you, Michael, for pointing that out. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Um, so we've got this situation where 2023 might be pretty good. Um, your the pain trade, the, the trade that you see everyone would cause the most pain if it didn't work out is everyone's sh short technology, bearish technology, long energy. So we've got a couple of questions around that. So uh, one of them is, would it be tech in 2023 or metals or both? I mean, I'm still a believer that, you know, value is going to be the strategy you're going to want to stick with for the long term. But what it basically tech and energy are part of factors okay a value factor and like an unprofitable tech factor and the thing with factor trades is that they are very volatile and they can reverse very quickly okay 
So I, I you know, and keep in mind, I'm not saying this is going to happen, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of times what you see at the beginning of a new calendar year is there will be a reversal in some factor and people start off the new year down 20% in the hole. You know what I mean? So I think that, I think that's a, a real possibility. Like I'm not, I'm not, let me put it this way. I'm not trading it. I'm not putting any money on it, but um, you know, just in terms of the sentiment setup, like tech is so unloved and everybody thinks it's going down forever. And, you know, energy is to the point where oil is in the, is in the 70s and energy stocks are pretty much on the highs. So, yeah, I think it's very possible for that to unwind. Mm. Are you looking at metals? Because we've had a, a, quite a few people kind of interested in gold lately who've come through. Yeah, gold actually, you know, so gold, the interesting thing about gold is that it has been trading with risk. Uh, pretty much all throughout 2002, it's actually been pretty correlated with stocks. And over the last two or three weeks, that correlation is sort of broken down. Stocks are down about eight, nine percent from the highs and gold is down about two percent. Mm. So I, I think that's super interesting that that correlation is breaking down and gold is acting a lot better than it has been all year. Yeah. Um, as I said, some really interesting conversations on the platform, folks, for members um, you want to check out uh, that have uh, very different voices and some different thinking about it. But um, there does, seems to be some sort of coming together, some agreement on being interested in watching that area. Uh, question from Max. Does Jared have any views on natural gas for 2023? No, I don't have any views on natural gas. I don't. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um <laughs> How about uh, any any other? Com- I mean, you mentioned energy. Are you looking at commodities, or you kind of leave that to the you know to other folks? Is that arable land too? This is a question from JP. What's your perspective on commodities and arable land? How about uh, just real estate too? <laughs> um, I I mean, look, I just the thing I fall back on is we're in an inflationary regime. You want to own real estate in an inflationary regime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, farmland is certainly part of that. I think I think 2023 is going to be a good year for commodities. I mean, what we had in 2022 was commodities peaked around February or March during the Ukraine invasion, and then spent the rest of the year working off that speculative froth. But if you believe the Fed is just about done hiking and could possibly cut rates in 2023, like commodities are going to do very, very well. So I have I have a I have one trade on which I don't really want to share. But um, but I'm you know, if I'm going to be playing commodities from the long side in 2023. Mm. Um and thank you for putting the time frame in there because that's important. And on, on the issue on the on the subject of time frame, investing in time frame, Vic says, uh, hi, great show as always. Thanks, Vic. Uh, I have a question for Jared. Can you trade medium term sentiment in this environment, six to twelve months? And what do you look for technically, fundamentally, or other factors? Actually, that is that's the best time frame in which to trade sentiment is is short to medium term. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, just for example, you know, energy is a good example. So energy, I think topped in April, uh, oil prices topped in April. And, you know, at the time I highlighted the sentiment in energy. I said, there were too many assholes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, 
you know, but the interesting thing is, is that, you know, that trade has played out over an eight month basis right between that six to 12 month timeline. I said on Twitter recently, I'm actually bullish on energy now for a bunch of reasons. Uh, this bid in the SPR is probably the biggest reason. Uh, China coming back online is another reason. Like the fundamentals are starting to get better for oil. And, you know, I think it's I think it's underpriced at 70 some dollars a barrel. So that that's really interesting. Um, also. Colin, uh, with a comment, reading Street Freak, great read, Jared. <laughs> um, and don't forget, you got. I know you've been still toiling on the final edits of your of your um, of your next book out. So there's going to be a lot more good stuff coming. Um, so Jared, if we if we the one thing we haven't talked about is is Treasuries at all. How are you thinking about bonds? Because you know, with the with the disastrous year 22 was in terms of bonds and stocks, both taking it on the chin. A lot of people were saying 60-40 is over, it's over. Um, now we're hearing less of that. And now I hear, you know, th that's revived or people are like, wait a minute, maybe not so fast. Maybe there will be a rebalancing. Maybe, you know, how are you thinking about the treasury area? Um, I think I, th I think there's some huge opportunities in the front end of the yield curve, right? So I, I haven't looked at twos tens in about a week. The last time I looked at it, it was 80 basis points. I think it's a little steeper than that. Negative 80 basis points. I think it's a little steeper than that now. Um, I think this, you know, I've done yield curve trades in the past. I did it when I was at Lehman. They're the easiest trades in the world to put on because they trend with no retracements at all. They absolutely trend. And a steepener, a steepener during a Fed cut cycle is the easiest of all the curve trades to put on. So I think that's, I think that's very possible that that's going to happen in 2023. Excellent. So Jared, it's, it's, this has been such an interesting conversation and I always appreciate the fact that you are, are thinking about sentiment. Cause it's, I think it's on all of our minds right now. Cause it just feels so negative. Um, so, and it sounds like you're a little contrary that 2023, maybe not going to be a bad year. Although definitely a return of inflation and things to watch out for a little bit longer term and that you're watching the fact that everyone is negative tech and short tech and, and long energy, even though I think you think commodities are going to do well, but that seems like a, I don't know if you want to call it a crowded trade, you called it the pain trade. Um, so that you're, you're kind of keeping an eye on that. Is that, yeah, is that a good, and yeah, but you're, good sounds summer. like you're kind of in a holding mode still though. sounds like you want to see some some things come together before you start yeah, taking I mean, big there's, positions. There's no obvious setups here. I mean, I think uh, it's it's important in trading to be able to do nothing during long periods of time. Like there's out of 252 trading days in a year, there's really only 20 or 30 days in which you're going to have opportunities. And now as in stocks, if you're trading like the S&P, what we're in the middle of a range. Uh, there's really, we're not at any sentiment extremes. Like there's really nothing to do. Like, so just stay put. That's great advice because I think people think they have to act and they think they have to do something and patience is, is going to be really important here. Jared, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Uh, we're probably, you're off and, and we're off, so we're not going to see you, but we look forward to catching up with you in 2023. Have a great thank holiday. You. Yep. Thanks. You too. Awesome. And listen, before we go, if any of you are scrambling to get those last minute gifts, you don't want to deal with the lines we just talked about, 
We got you covered. You can gift a Real Vision membership by going to www.realvision forward slash give a gift, realvision.com forward slash give a gift. Um, you can find it on our website. We will be back tomorrow for the final show of the year. We look forward to seeing you there. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.